You're listening to Headphones Recommended. I'm Jake, and this is my story. Rutgers University said they would fund all 16 of us when I started my PhD program, and I still went, even though they only funded two. It was a lie I believed when I started my master's program at the beginning of the recession, but I convinced myself that this time would be different. This time, they would find the funding after our program started. This time, I wouldn't be paying for grad school out of pocket. They eventually found funding for a few of us, those who already had master's degrees and were willing to teach. They gave us teaching opportunities, which really amounted to, here's the title of your class, good luck. With just a title, I had to find textbooks, write a syllabus, design assignments, give lectures, answer emails, be there at office hours, grade assignments, and grade papers. All without so much as a TA or an advisor. I had been a middle school and high school substitute teacher before, but standing in front of a class of 50 freshmen to teach intro to criminology from scratch just wasn't the same. When I say funding, I mean that they were paying us $1,500 a credit. With two classes at three credits each, I was making $9,000 a semester. Tuition alone, however, was $13,000. So that math was pretty bad, and I knew it. I was making less than a third of what adjunct faculty were being paid for the same amount of work, paying a net $4,000 a semester for the privilege of doing labor for the school. But I stayed, because being a professor is why I was getting a PhD to begin with. When eight of my 25 senior-level students heavily plagiarized on their final papers just weeks before they were supposed to graduate, I stayed through that too. Six of those eight were salvageable after mandatory office hours with me. Two were not. Of those two, one of the students did not write an original word, his paper a garbled Frankenstein of nonsense. My heart broke into a million pieces as I failed both of them, resulting in expulsions for academic misconduct. My department didn't support my decision despite the overwhelming evidence. We try not to fail people, was their exact response. But I stayed, even when my students didn't care. Fall semester was coming around, and I had two four-credit classes this time, putting me up to $12,000. I was almost going to be earning the cost of tuition, which was important, since teaching didn't include remittance. Two weeks before the semester started, my classes were taken away. The department decided my courses in research methods and statistics were too important to be taught by a student teacher. So without warning, they replaced me with adjunct faculty. My budget for the fall was destroyed, with no time to get a job teaching anywhere else. But I stayed even when they took my teaching away. 
Of the two students in my cohort who originally got funding, one of them had a second part-time job to help pay for living expenses. She couldn't afford to exist with just the stipend. Rutgers pressured her to quit that job, telling her she was only allowed to work for the university if she was being funded by them. She did, then quickly discovered that she couldn't get by, so she dropped out. She was not the first of my class to drop out, nor was she the last. But I stayed, even though it was clear that Rutgers did not want us to succeed. I finished all of my coursework, and the time came to study for my qualifying exams, a pair of three-hour essays that determined if I got to be a PhD student instead of just a PhD candidate. After memorizing over 30 research articles over the course of several months, I sat down for the exam and passed half of it. Still needing to pass the other half, I repeated that process from scratch a second time. I passed. I stayed, even through the most difficult test I've ever taken, even through that test twice. While I was studying for the qualifiers, Rutgers somehow lost track of me as a student. Which sounds fake, but isn't. The registrar had no record of me being enrolled anymore, so I spent almost six months trying to prove that I was. During that time, debt collectors called me daily as I burned through the last of my student loan grace period. I couldn't prove I was a student to them, so I just kept my phone in Do Not Disturb 24-7. Since I had student health insurance, I lost that too, and just didn't see a doctor for months. Eventually, the one person in the department who believed me sorted things out. I never got that grace period back. But I stayed, even as I was gaslit by the institution. I worked on my dissertation with an informal advisor for a year and a half, unable to formalize the paperwork until I had passed the qualifiers. I did a pilot study, recruited research subjects for months, and spent months on my survey instrument. When I finally passed the exams, I asked my informal advisor to sign the paperwork, and he said no. He would be on my committee but he no longer had time to be my chair, or so he said. I wasted months getting a new advisor, but I stayed, even though I lost my dissertation advisor. Finally, I had finished my coursework. Finally, I had passed my qualifying exams. Finally, I had a dissertation committee. Whether my research would take six months or six years was yet to be seen, but all that stood between me and a PhD was my dissertation. I met with my new advisor in the beginning of the fall semester in 2013, just two days after the deadline to get a refund for tuition. 
which should tell you where this story is going. We talked for an hour on a bench just outside of the criminal justice building. In that conversation, he told me that I needed to start over. I would have to undo a year and a half of work and start from scratch. My exploratory study, to him, did not have enough of a theoretical background. But I stayed, even when I was told to start over. After everything, Dr. Clark said, Oh, and I'm going on sabbatical, effective immediately. He gestured to his packed bag and told me that following our conversation, he was getting on a plane, flying to Europe, and not coming back. He said we could have an hour once a month to touch base on Skype. I was paying $13,000 a semester just for advising hours. I was dumbfounded, and I didn't know what to do. I sat on that for all of fall semester, unable to get a refund. Finally, January came around. I was checking my email in a Chipotle parking lot when I saw an automated message in my phone from Rutgers. We noticed you haven't signed up for any credits, it said. It asked if I was going to. I stared at my phone, and it was in that moment that I decided no, I wasn't coming back. I called the graduate department head, the third person in that role since I became a student, and I formalized my decision personally. In January 2014, I was the ninth person of my 16-person cohort to leave. Two more dropped out after I did. The next person I called was my dad. I expected him to be angry or disappointed, but he wasn't. He said he knew that if I dropped out, it was because I had good reason to do so. He asked if I felt better, and honestly, I did. I felt like a thousand pounds had been lifted off my back. I felt free and powerful. During that fall semester, I spent my time building up Spriteborn, my personal business. Weeks after I dropped out, I bought a laser with help from my family. I ended up using it to start work on my first board game, a project that debuted in the Gaming Awards at South by Southwest, where I was nominated. I've been nominated for awards repeatedly since then, including Game of the Year here at the Philly Geek Awards, and I've shown off my work everywhere from local conventions to the Smithsonian American Art Museum in D.C. My work has brought joy to people on almost every continent in the world. I had been worried that my life was over, but my life was only just beginning. 
the catch about saying yes to one thing is that it usually means saying no to everything else. By staying in a program that didn't care about me, that abused me repeatedly, that took my work for granted, I was missing 10,000 other things. Who could I be if I wasn't tied down by a situation that was no longer meant for me? This is a question I am still answering every day. My doctoral program was one of the most challenging, demanding things I have ever done. From the coursework to the qualifying exams, from under-supported teaching to administrative nightmares, I survived, and I persevered again and again, conquering one challenge to meet the next. But for me, the real challenge was knowing when to leave so I could say yes to the rest of my life. Headphones Recommended is written, recorded, and produced by me, Jacob Vanderend. All of these stories are true. This show is ad-free and completely listener-supported by folks just like you. Find out how to get involved at headphones.show, where you can find links to the Patreon, social media, and more. Don't forget to rate the show on your podcast app of choice, and to tell your friends... Every rating and recommendation goes a long way. Questions? Comments? Want to do a guest episode? Want to be a guest artist? Email us at info at headphones.show. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. Be good to each other out there. <laughs>